Today we're in Isaiah chapter 11, and we'll cover a couple of chapters. Chapter 12 is pretty short. I wanted to give you guys a, kind of a, a dorky illustration, but um, I don't know. Like I was thinking, you know what? This is something that I can relate to. I can really kind of grasp, okay? Again, not to belabor the point, but let's just say... Um, you know, you're watching the Dodgers or whatever your team is. You know, you're in, in the middle of this war, in the middle of this battle, in the middle of this, you know, uh, game. And let's just say you knew, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that your team was going to win. You just knew it. You, you, know, it's, you know, you had that, not a hunch. It was just determined. It was set. Maybe it was something that God showed you or whatever. And so you knew, we knew, whatever, that the Dodgers were going to win. So if that were the case, then would it concern you if, let's just say, they were losing after the second inning? Would it concern you if they were losing after the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh? Would it concern you if they got guys' bases loaded or whatever and it doesn't look good in that moment in time? No, because you know you're going to win. And in one sense, that's our life as Christians. And I think that's kind of what Isaiah talks about. That's why he talks so much about heaven. He talks so much about the millennial kingdom in the midst of judgment. And we go through disappointments, but they're his appointments. We go through these crazy uh, things that I think many times would bring me down, would cause me depression, would cause me anxiety, where I might lose sleep or whatever the case may be because I'm so concerned about this, whatever it is that I'm focusing on now. And, and, and then when you, when you look at the, the, the scriptures and you just realize what happens when you become a Christian, God's got this. God has got this. God will give you the victory. You're predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. He's going to take all the, the things that are going on in your life and he will work it together for good. We see what's going on in our world today and some people are pulling out their hair and they're concerned and you know they're doing their thing. But, but the Lord, what we're going to see is, is Jesus is coming and he's going to set up his kingdom. And, and like I said, it doesn't matter if it looks like we're losing now. We're, we're, we're not because ultimately we win as we're in Christ. That's why the Bible says we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. And so we're going to see that uh, as we go through our study today. Look at Isaiah 11 and verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The New Living Translation says out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoe. Yes, a, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. You know, have you guys ever cut down a tree? I'm just curious. You ever cut down a tree and then maybe there's a big stump right there? Or maybe you've seen a, a tree or you've had, I know we've got a couple that we've got to deal with. They're dead. They're these dead trees. So in one sense, that's kind of the, that was the condition of Israel. They got cut down. They got judged. The Babylonians would come, and in the 586 B.C., it just did not look good. And some might look at that and say that God's done with Israel. But that's where Isaiah 11 says, no, out of that stump, out of that whatever, that dead tree, there's going to come this shoot. It says right here, this rod from the stem of Jesse, and that branch will grow out of its roots. 
This is another one of the amazing prophecies of Jesus in the book of Isaiah. You know, you might remember uh, when we first started the book, we talked about the fact that many people refer to the book of Isaiah as the gospel of Isaiah. You can almost put it there with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As you're reading through Isaiah, you will come over prophecy after prophecy of Jesus Christ. Up to this point, we've already probably been through 15 prophecies regarding Jesus, and we're just in chapter 11. Remember Isaiah 7, 14, that the virgin would conceive and bring forth his child. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, those are some of the big ones, but there are many others. And so here we read that, that there would be this descendant of David, because notice again, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. And so out of that lineage, out of his, his ancestors, his descendants, would come the one whose throne would last forever. Second Samuel 7, 16, when Nathan was talking to David, it says, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established. And so, you know, when you read this, if you go back to chapter 10, it's interesting because it talks about all the other nations getting cut down. Their trees are getting cut down and they're going to stay down. If you look back at chapter 10, Look at verse 33. It says, Behold, the the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop off the bough with terror. Those of high stature will be hewn down and the haughty will be humbled. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with iron. And Lebanon, Lebanon was known for their big trees, will fall by the mighty one. So all of their kingdoms, they're going to get cut down. They're going to stay down, right? But, but then he goes into the, the stump, uh, this dead tree in which Jesus would come, the king of kings. They would be cut down, but what we see is that Jesus would be bearing fruit from David's root. You know, Jesus made a connection to this passage over in Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16. Uh, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And so other nations, China, United States of America, Russia, whatever you want to say, Iran, all the thing, all those guys that think they're big and bad right now, God says, I'm going I'm to I'm deal with them. They're all going to be chopped down. But for us as Christians, we have to know that, that Jesus is coming in this kingdom will be forever and ever. And, and this right here, this is why, like I said earlier, it might look like we're losing or it might look bad and you might feel, so, so what's the big deal about you know, looking bad? Because it gets to me. Because it gets to me. Because sometimes I get down, because sometimes I get depressed, because sometimes you know, I, I see others and they're in pain. And because they're in pain, it, it, it hurts me. But then the Lord just reminds me, but understand that you don't have to get down. You don't have to get depressed. You don't have to you know, be that way because ultimately we win. And I, and I think that that's why when you look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these guys, you see that he talks a lot about judgment. Hey, get your life right. 
Don't be messing around. Seek the Lord. Don't live a life of sin because judgment is real. And he talks about how ultimately Israel would be judged. And so there is that, that message of holiness. We see in Isaiah 6, right? Holy, 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 right? So God help us as a church to be holy, to, to seek the Lord. You know, but, but what we find in the midst of all that judgment and holiness is grace. It's grace and it's an understanding that, you know, there's this beautiful kingdom that God has in front of us. We're going to see the ministry of Jesus, and it's just so amazing. It says in verse 2, re- referring to Jesus, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. You know, when Jesus left uh, heaven, he divested himself of his divine privileges. Now, he never ceased to be God. He never stopped being God. But he emptied himself, Philippians chapter 2 says, of his divine privileges. And so when he came, he came in one sense to show us what, what men could do. And so when you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll find there's a great emphasis on his prayer life. And there's a great emphasis on the power and person of the Holy Spirit. You guys might remember when Jesus got baptized, the dove fell on him, right? The Holy Spirit fell on him. And this is what we see right here as Jesus came and as Jesus is coming, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Here in Isaiah 11:2, we have the seven aspects of the Holy Spirit, which is kind of interesting because in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, it refers to the same Spirit. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, that's not in reference to seven. It's in reference to the sevenfold spirit. Now, you guys know in the Bible, seven is the number of fullness. It's the number of completion. And so when Jesus you know, comes, this, this shoot, this branch, descendant of David, we see that he comes with that anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you guys know, right? You guys know that Christ, it means anointed one, right? In the Hebrew, it's Mashiach. In the Greek, it's Christos. And so that's, that's Jesus. And as he comes, he's under that anointing. And so notice we have the description of life, what life will be like when he's ruling. It says in verse 3, that his delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity. It will be perfectly fair and, and just the judgments from the divine knowledge of God. Not just you know hearsay, not just like things that you see on the surface. When he judges, it's going to be perfect judgment. Uh, it says right here, for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. And so it's interesting, judgment. Okay, King Jesus is coming, and, and he's going to clean house. Uh, Revelation 19.11, you guys have probably read it many times. Uh, that's just referring to Jesus coming on the white horse and he's got the rod in his mouth and he's just, like it says right here, he's going to strike the earth. He's going to bring this perfect judgment and he will continue to judge in that perfect way. 
When Jesus comes, uh, we saw a glimpse of it the first time. We're going to see the fullness of it a second time. He's going to come with perfect justice. And as he comes and sets up his kingdom, there will be perfect peace, which is what we read next in in verse 5. It says, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And check this out. And a little child shall lead them. I mean, perfect justice and perfect peace to the point where there's no more, you know, eating the, the carnivorous animals, devouring one another. I mean, they're, they're actually lying down together, the, the wolf, it says, and the, and the lamb. I mean, the last time the wolf and the lamb lied down together was he, the wolf was just lying down after he ate him. That's pretty much how it is now. Can you imagine, you guys, what life will be like when Jesus is ruling and the environment even changes, the aspects of the curse are going to be lifted? This is right around the corner. I mean, we're going to see later, this should make us rejoice. I mean, this is amazing. He describes it, verse 7, the cow and, and the bear shall graze and their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the, in the viper's den. I know some of you here, you probably are, how many of you here, you're like, I, I like dogs, not cats, right? Some people are like that, right? But, but imagine a lion, having a lion as a pet. You know, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, although I am leaning more towards, I like dogs, you know, to be honest, um, but, but having a lion as a pet, you know, wakes up and, you know, you pet it, whatever, it's purring next to you or something. You know, and of course we know that this is just like a, 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 a way of describing something way, way more deeper than just the animals getting along. I and mean, we're talking about people getting along. We're talking about this peace that you can feel, this peace that a lot of times I think, you know, we lack. You know, Isaiah 26, 3, this is why we're making our way there. It says, therefore, you shall keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. I think a lot of times what Christians, what messes us up is we just, we overthink things and, oh, they don't like me. And next thing you know, you've got all these mind games. And it's all because our eyes are not on the Lord. And this time when Jesus is reigning, the beauty of this peace. You and I will be in our glorified bodies, but the environment, the world, the animals, the kids, everything. This is what we look forward to. It says right there in verse 9 again, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Imagine that. As the waters cover the sea. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, Again, speaking of Jesus, who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. You know, when you look at this, what do you do? You you guys get tempted to think, well, no, that can't be literally true. Be careful. 
There are some Bible teachers out there that, take, that they'll look at something like this and they, they interpret it non-literally because they suppose that such changes in the animal world are not possible. But, you know, because Messiah is not just this great leader of some sort, you know, with a great education or even a great moral character. No, because the Messiah, the King, is God. Then that's why this is a reality. You know, one of the interpretations that we have to have, a rule of interpretation, is that if it makes sense, seek no other sense. Usually we take it literally, unless it can't be taken literally. And what we're talking about right here, the thousand years, and remember I mentioned when we did the Millennial Kingdom study, is that the, in the book of Revelation, six times, he says it's a thousand years. Six times. So it's literally that thousand year reign of Christ. We're going to see these things come to pass. Now, verse 9 tells us that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Imagine that. You know, we're living in a world right now where that knowledge is being suppressed and we're seeing the, the, the fruit of that. And, you know, I, my son, he's in, he's in college and you can talk to any of these college students and the things that they're teaching these children. I, I, he's, he's taking an English class and in your English class, you're supposed to learn how to, you know, write papers and, you know, do that kind of stuff. And, you know, but it's a crazy because he's sharing with me that they are just stuffing their agenda, their liberal agenda down his throat. No, that's not your job. You're, you're supposed to teach them how to write and, you know, English. But that's what's going on. That's that's what's going on in, in secular universities. Now, thank God, you know, you have to have your kids ready for that. You have to have them equipped. They have to know apologetics. And so they'll be able to, to hang in there if they're, if they're ready and then they have this relationship with God. But for the most part, how many kids are really ready for that? When they go into every single class in those universities with that agenda, so, so this is the world that we're living in now. It's a godless world. I don't know if it was Superman or I read recently or some Marvel comic or Superman's son. I don't know which one it was. But So he's going to come out he's, and they're going to make him bisexual. Superman. Why? Why? Because they're trying to indoctrinate. They're trying to change. It's, this, it's part of Romans chapter 1 says the darkness, and even the judgment. And so imagine what it's going to be like when, when King Jesus rules. And I will say this, this is a quick side note. It's not literal, but it's, it's applicable that we got to let Jesus rule in our own hearts. Did you know that on your heart, there's a throne? Who rules there? Who sits there on the, on the throne of your heart? Is it you or is it Jesus? The, the, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. There is that aspect as well. Again, not taking away the literal interpretation, but these are things that are applicable to us. And so we see right here that, that, that the knowledge of the Lord in that day, verse 9, that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. And that's not just intellectual. That's not just sexual identity. That's not, you know, just, you know, those types of issues. It's, it's the love of God. It's who he is. Right now we are scratching the surface and it's a blessing when you be able to, you know, get a little bit of that love and understanding of his love and his peace and his mercy and his grace. 
You know, but man, then it's going to be full on. No, not just intellectual. It will be beyond that. And as a result, we're going to see that the rest of the world, the Gentiles, not just the Jews, are going to praise the Lord. Romans fifteen ten through 12, again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. And so we're going to see, even as we go through here, that as God gets a hold of the Jews, then God wanted to use the Jews to reach the Gentiles. And we've got to make sure that we never lose that desire, we never lose that, just that, I don't want to call it a pattern, but just the way that God works. Because God got you, huh? You're a Christian, you love the Lord, you know about Jesus, and so he wants to use us to reach others. Never lose that missionary heart. Look what we read in verse 11. It says, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and, and Egypt, from Pathros and, and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the east. If you were to look at a map, basically it's north, south, east, and west. God's going to bring his people from all over the world. They're going to come back into the land. This is what's going to happen. We see it now already, those of you guys who are seeing what's going on in Israel, but even more so at the commencement of the millennial kingdom. They're just going to come from all different directions. And he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, it's interesting how he calls it the second time there in in chapter 11, uh, verse 11. And so um, most Bible teachers believe that the first time was how God gathered Israel out of Egypt. You guys remember what God did and what a glorious miracle that was? So now he's gathering the outcasts again out of the world and into this glorious land. And so we're going to see that. It's going to be amazing. This is why I think it's a blessing to go to Israel. I think it's a blessing. You know, uh, God loves everybody the same. Don't get me wrong, but there is a special place. There's something in my heart for Israel because they're assigned to the world. And God made these promises, uh, this Davidic covenant that he will bring to pass. Look what it says in verse 13. And, and, And the envy of Ephraim, shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Now, just in case you didn't know, Ephraim was the large tribe in the northern kingdom. And so Ephraim was basically another way of saying Israel, because remember when they got divided, and we talked about that. And so the, the, the kingdom got divided, and what, what, what Isaiah is saying right here is, is they're going to be reconciled. No more envy. Now, I'll tell you this. This is a quick side note. Envy is like one of the worst sins. It's one of the worst sins because, you know, jealousy is, you know, is, is one thing. But envy, when you start looking at someone or whatever, and you're like, man, I just don't want them to be blessed. It's ugly. 
And that's how it was with Ephraim and Judah. And he says, God says, one day that's going to be gone. Now, another thing, real quick, just in case you guys ever come across it, because so many weird things are out there. There are some people who teach that there's the 10 tribes of Israel that are lost. And so, um, you know, they say that the only ones that are left are the, the southern two tribes, and all the rest are gone. But according to the scriptures, and we have all their tribes mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, and other places, they're all the different tribes are intact. And we even see that here. Ephraim will be there. Judah will be there. It says in verse 14, but, but they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the, the west, and together they shall plunder the, the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the people of Ammon shall obey them. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt with his mighty wind, and he will shake his fist over the river, and strike it in the seven streams, and make men cross over dry shod, there will be a highway. And we see that frequently in the book of Isaiah. For the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. And so you look at these different countries right here, and some say that it might be uh, representative of the just the adversaries of Israel in the commencement of the Messiah's kingdom. No, no one will stop them. No one will stop them. No nation, no river, no enemy, not the Nile, the Red Sea, or the Euphrates. It'll be dried up, and the people will again walk through on dry land. You know, when Israel returns to her land at the beginning of the millennium, God will prepare the way for her. And we see it, you know, happening and even in the gulfs and the rivers. The New King James Study Bible says he would remove any physical barrier that would hinder the return of his people. And so we're going to see this literally happen. The highway, as I mentioned earlier, is found frequently in the book of Isaiah seven times. And basically, the highway speaks of the way that God has, you know, kind of like made a way. It symbolizes the certainty of the return, how God would make sure that no obstacles would hinder, hinder the exile's return. Kind of like a, a freeway, kind of, you know. So if we go down Lower Zusa Road, you're probably going to hit some, uh, some, some lights. You're going to, uh, you know, hit red lights. I'll never forget um, when Shelly used to work at McDonald's many, many years ago. I think that was probably your first job, huh? I remember one time I got off the 210, and I went up Azusa Avenue all the way. Um, she was working in the McDonald's right there on the 10. So I went from the 210 to the 10, and guess what? I hit a green light all the way. It was a miracle. <laughs> I got there in time to get my free food. <laughs> And so, but that doesn't normally happen, right? I mean, normally you're going to hit red lights and traffic and stuff. And, and so, you know, God is just saying, I'm going to make a highway for you to be home, for Israel to be home, for us to be where we belong. And nothing will stop this. Because you place your faith in Jesus. Not that we're, we got it all together. You know, not because we, you know whatever, did all the devotionals and prayers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I do encourage you to seek the Lord and serve the Lord, but understand that your highway, your way, your salvation is because of that faith that you, that you placed in Jesus. Nothing's going to stop that work. 
And so this is a beautiful visual. It's a beautiful understanding of what's going to happen during the millennial kingdom. I, I can't wait for that day. Who knows, you guys? Maybe when we're there at the millennial kingdom, I'm going to be like, Mike, can you believe we're here, bro? This is crazy, man. You know, we'll do some high fives, and I'll probably be able to do like a flip in those days. You know how some guys, when they're really happy, they do those things. I don't know. But we're, it's going to be amazing, which leads to chapter 12. Uh, and that's what ends up happening. You remember when the Jews came out of Egypt, they did the, the song and Miriam did the, t- the, the tambourine and they were all praising the Lord. That's kind of what this is right here. Kind of the same thing. It says in verse uh, one of chapter 12, and in that day, you will say, oh Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. And this is Israel. Uh, He's speaking of Israel. And you guys know, I already talked about the fact that they had sinned severely, resistant, persistent, consistent sin. And so God disciplined them. God cut them down. There was this dead tree, but then he brought life again, right? And he regathered them to the land. It's a beautiful thing when you look at the history of Israel and how God has been so gracious to them, right? Just like he has been to us. And so, you know, I don't know if you've ever been disciplined by the Lord, or maybe you've gone through times where you're not even sure, you don't understand, or things didn't look good, or whatever. And, and, and right here, he just says, you were angry with me, but now your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. And so, Lord, I praise you. I praise you. Now, looking at verse 1, I kind of like just the thought, like, in that day. In that day. Now, you're here today in this day. And you're like, Manny, you know what? Uh, Like Randy was talking about earlier, times are hard. I mean, I'm struggling. I don't know if God's hearing my prayer. Doesn't look like he's answering. And and, and we're in this day. This is where we are this day. It's the, the sixth inning. We're down by, you know, 10 runs. It just doesn't look good. And that's why he, he's writing to these people and they're going to be going through tremendous trials. They're going, to be so, they're going to see so much bloodshed. They're going to be so much misery. I mean, you guys are going to go through tremendous trials in, in your life. You know, being a Christian doesn't mean you're obsolete from those things. As a matter of fact, we become targets. So what, it, what he says, though, is in that day, in that day, and so we have to know that that's, that's the future. Most of us here would probably prefer that this would be in this day, but usually there is the waiting room that we're in for a season, and God says, don't lose heart. Days of praise will come. And I was thinking about Anthony and Monique, and uh, some of you guys you know, know, um, even Carlos and Christina, they've gone through something similar. Their, their child was diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes, and I was thinking about how difficult that must be, um, obviously for everyone that's involved, there's a lot of questions or what's going to happen, but so every, if I'm not mistaken, I think like almost every day, if not every day, they have to have have a shot of insulin, right? And um, so imagine how Adeline is going to feel when her parents cause her pain every single day. She doesn't understand yet because she's just a little girl. Little does she know that that pain is necessary in order to save her life. And we go through things. 
You know, you're here, maybe you're here tonight and you don't understand why this is happening or why that's not happening yet or why does this hurt so much. Sometimes as a parent or whatever, as a pastor, you hurt because they're hurting and, and you don't understand why. And, and just we kind of know that as a parent, I would never, ever, ever allow any pain to my child unless it was absolutely necessary. And if that's how I am, the Bible says in 1 John 3, we're children of God. How much more so would our Father filter us and just protect us from anything that would be unnecessary? So if it's hit us and if it's hurt us, then it's actually good for us. So here, you know, they went through their hard time and maybe they didn't understand why, but eventually they understood why. They had to stay, though, in the waiting room for a season. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 30, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. And that's kind of like a a comparison. The Bible says that the the sufferings of this world, they can't even begin to be compared to the glory that will be revealed one day. And so you get, you know, you see God angry for a moment. It's just like a little moment, but his favor is for life. And what that means is his favor is for eternity. And so we're going to see that these are reasons, these are reasons to praise the Lord. In that day, he says in verse 1, you will say, oh Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, it says in verse 2, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. And, and literally in the, in the Hebrew, the, the strength and song, they can be rephrased to really say my strong song. My strong song. Therefore, he says in verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now, as you read through the Psalms and as you're reading through different parts of the Bible, salvation, yeah, it is, you know, the big word. It is us being forgiven of our sins and being able to know that I know the Lord and I'm on my way to heaven. But it's also just along the way, all the little things, the way that God rescues us, you know, throughout our journey Right here, he mentions that with joy, we would draw water from the wells of salvation. And again, most Bible teachers will take you back to the way that the children of Israel were were traveling through the wilderness and there was no water anywhere to be found until they struck the rock and then we see that, that, that they were provided water in the middle of the wilderness and then later on when Moses spoke to the rock, that was all he was supposed to do, provided water in the wilderness. And again, again, I just have to say, because I even say it to myself, I know you feel like you're in the wilderness. I know you feel like, man, this is crazy, this is hard, this is hot. I don't know if I'm going to make it, Lord. And right when you feel like, you know, I'm going to die of you know, dehydration or whatever, God just, he provides that water. The, the thing that I always tell you guys and I got to tell myself is the only way we lose is, is if we quit. That's why we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. And when we're there, he's going to bless you. He's going to bless you with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to bless you, you know, with that water. And it, and it, and it it's happens with joy. Therefore, with joy, 
you would draw water from the wells of salvation. I, again, I know it's difficult, you guys, but I've, I've learned this. Don't, don't let everybody else put all their expectations on you because it'll drive you crazy. Don't. That's, it's craziness. And don't try to live your life trying to please everybody because you can't. People are going to misunderstand you. People are going to think weird things about you. Who cares? What matters most is pleasing God. And when you have that, that heart, like, Lord, I just want to do the right thing. I don't want to sin. I want to do your will, not my will. Then, I don't know, there, the, the joy, it begins to set in. It really does. You know, I've told you guys before that joy is kind of like peace dancing. You know, and, and that's what I'm talking about. You got this peace and and it's dancing, and that joy, the Bible says in Nehemiah 10, is, the, is, our, is a strength. So it's a fruit of the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Do you have joy? Do you have joy? Some people are more like Eeyore. But you're a Christian. You don't, you don't have to be like that. Well, yeah, but this didn't go the way that I wanted it. Well, it, it probably went the way God wanted it. And that's reason to rejoice. Paul says many times in the book of Philippians when he was in jail, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice because the joy of the Lord, it says in Nehemiah 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the enemy's trying to take away the joy, rob you of your joy for the journey and peace for the path. And so that's why right here when Isaiah's writing, He's just saying, this is the way we're supposed to do this. You have to know, even though it doesn't look good, you have to know that you win. Does everybody here hear that? As a Christian, you win. God has a plan for your life that's better than your plan. Through the midst of all the difficulties and all the struggles. And when that begins to settle, then you know, then you begin to praise and you begin to walk with joy and dance and peace and even someone like me who doesn't have rhythm, you know, it's, it's so cool. Look, it says in verse 4, and in that day you will say, uh, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Now, uh, Bible teachers, they tell us this, that what ends up happening is your worship becomes a witness. That's what ends up happening. You're like, hey, I win. Praise God. There's joy. And it just it's this overflows. And as a result of that, then your worship becomes a witness. And so many of us here, we want to win other people to the Lord, but we don't have that witness. We don't have that worship. We don't have that joy. So that's what he says. And that day you're going to say, Praise the Lord. Now, praise is, is, is a public acknowledgement. It's to declare publicly. That's what we do when we're singing these songs. We are praising God publicly, right? Vocally, acknowledging the wonderful works of God. Uh, it says right here, make mention that his name is exalted. And that's, of course, the name of Yahweh. And then when you put it all together, it's, it's the name of Jesus, Right? He says in verse 5, Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. 
And this is, you know, part of the reason we praise, you know, sing to the Lord uh, for the things that he's done. How many of you here can testify to the fact that he has done excellent things, huh? We've got to start getting your testimonies up here. I'm going to just make you guys come up and share. This, we praise him for the excellent things he's done. And then just for who he is right here, it says right here, cry out and shout. We don't do that. Shout. O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Now, here's something that's really cool, you guys. So listen up just for a second. One of the things that I, I learned and I've discovered and I'm blessed by is the fact that a lot of times I think we as Christians think, well, heaven is like kind of like me going over there, kind of like me going up yonder. Maybe there's something to that, but ultimately when you read the Bible here and another place in the book of Revelation, it's not really us going up yonder, it's God coming into our midst. If you can visualize that, if you can kind of see that, that's what he's saying there. That's what he says when the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, there would be God in their midst. You see it in Revelation. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And you see, holy, it's it's amazing what ends up happening. This is what we see here. Cry out, shout, why? Because this holy one of Israel is now in your midst. We sing to him. He's the principal audience of our sacred songs. And we praise him for what he's done. We praise him for who he is. We praise him that he would be willing to come and live with us. And it's such a beautiful thing, you guys. I pray that you're encouraged by that. You know, I know, you know, many of you here, um, you're getting hit by the enemy. I, I know I am, you know. Um, and we just get these weird thoughts sometimes or we get distracted and and God is just trying to keep us on track and he just says, hey, get your eyes on me. I, I've been a Christian now for, for like 30 years and I, and I will say this, he has never failed me. He had never failed me. And, and he never will. I've failed him many times. But God is good. And as we go through life and we're going to get hit and as we're living in this world and it's just crazy what's going on, it's just really good to know the future. That King Jesus is coming and my future Jeremiah 29, 11, my future, our future is just so bright. I want to close with this, you guys. I have some sunglasses right here. So I never wear sunglasses, you know, but these really are, these are cool sunglasses because they have speakers in the back and someone gave them to me. But anyways, I remember one person told me this. He says, your future is so bright that you got to wear sunglasses. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, have you? Yes or no? And you gotta wear sunglasses. Don't let the enemy discourage you about what's been going on. Please. Because God has grace.